gentlemen welcome back to the air in the speaker podcast with me i have shireen rahimi and you are intertwined into my life because you're helping my sister out with her gallery we're inside the gallery right now so if you hear a little bit of an echo it's because we're inside of the gallery if you're listening to this on itunes or google play or anywhere you get your podcast on spotify that's why you hear an echo but if you want to check out the interview you can find it on youtube we have a three-person camera uh shireen was making fun of me saying where's joe rogan listen i spent all my money Trying to make this podcast cool, trying to give us some visual element. Joe Rogan will not be here, but when he does, then you will be the first to know. Thank you for coming on the podcast. How's it going? Of course. Thank you. I'm good. How oh. are you? No, We're not going to do that soft voice. How are you? There we go. We're doing good. How are you? How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. How's everything going? You know, it's a pandemic. Yeah. Everyone's depressed, well, but we're six, I'm making the best of it. We're six feet apart right now. Yeah, we are. We are. That's good. Arms length. Don't touch me. See? see? For YouTube, there's no, there's no thing. We got my sister here in the studio taking some photography behind the scenes. Um, a little bit about you. Um, you are a marine anthropologist by academia, a filmmaker, and a researcher. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about those three things? That's really why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because with so many things happening right now, especially in Miami... Uh, not too long ago, they had that guy, the real Tarzan. Do you know who that is on Instagram? Yeah. He was like swimming in the water. He's like picking up trash with his mouth. Yeah. He's like, oh, look at this Doritos bag, you know? And I was like, why your mouth? You have hands. Um, but it seems like oceanic research, like that guy uh, who did, who does like all the Nat Geo voice, the British guy with, I don't David know. David Attenborough. Da he did that whole like big Netflix thing, which right. kind of like moved it along and made it popular. Like, um, so what, what exactly do, you know, a marine anthropologist do? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, well, to begin, I, it's weird because I feel like I'm all these different things that are hard to explain to people. But really, at the end of the day, I think I think of myself as an artist um, because I try to tell stories in a poetic way, whether that's through anthropology or filmmaking or photography. Um, but... In terms of, you know, my marine work in, on the academic side, marine anthropology is basically just going out there and trying to figure out how people are interacting with the ocean. How do spearfishers catch their food? How, are, how do people deal with a Category 5 hurricane, you know, when it destroys their lives and they're just trying to pick up the pieces? You know, like, what, what are those... What do those actions look like on a very like physical level? You know, like what does it feel like to kill a fish? How do people relate to to killing, or how do people relate to um, you know losing their homes in a hurricane and having the ocean swallow their lives? You know, like really just trying to understand how people interact with the world and adapt to the way that the world is changing, especially right now at this moment when the world is changing at an extremely rapid rate, like we've never seen before. Right. So I think a lot of people, if you don't know what anthropology is, it's basically the study of human civilization, like through the course of time in a very rough, like right. very dry way to say it. Or right. Not human an academic. culture, societies. Culture, yeah. society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, again, to dive deeper, culture, meaning like value systems, belief systems, perspectives on how you see things. Like we have a very westernized culture here. So we're very like individualistic, but also cultivistic. Like we believe in the myth of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, that's why we're not so much like China, where it's like 
an organized unit, you need to take the whole families in, like into decision making. Um, so that's anthropology for those who don't know. How did you get into it? Like, were you a kid and you were like swimming in the ocean? You were like, I want to study this. You were like, well, how did, did you stumble upon it? Like, I know I became a professor by accident. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like something I wanted to do. I was a college right. dropout, you know. Uh, I was like figuring, I was an ex-college basketball player, like mm-hmm. discovering the world. And I decided on communications because I wanted to get girls. Like, that was my thing. <laughs> like, I was really bad at talking to girls. I wasn't good at it. And I was like, if I study communication, then I can figure it out. And then from there, I realized I had like the gift of gab and it kind of transitioned into the study of rhetoric and you know, literature, how did you kind of stumble into marine anthropology of all things? Yeah, um, same. Like, I just wanted to get guys. No, you didn't. I'm just checking. <laughs> I, uh, as long as they look like Aquaman. <laughs> Where's he? I don't know. Can I, can I blow my magic conch? <laughs> I had a, I kind of had one of those moments where in the ocean, you know, that people talk about where they're like, oh, I... I was, um, I saw a coral reef, a healthy, relatively healthy coral reef for the first time when I was 12. How? Were you like in the ocean, like snorkeling? I was in the ocean, yeah. I, w- I went on uh, vacation with my family um, to St. John, the island of St. John, and it was... Where's that? Here? Florida? The U.S. No. Virgin Islands. Oh, the Virgin Islands. Right. And uh, I was like floating over the reef and the sun was shining and those like r- light rays that are, that dance on the floor, oh. on the floor of the ocean were dancing and there was squid and like coral and stuff and I was like this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my whole life um but I I wasn't like I want to be a scientist you know right. I just kind of I think really the reason why I became so uh involved in academia is because I am the child of immigrants okay. and anyone whose parents came from Asia made like you know, the greater area of Asia knows that if you're not a doctor or a scientist or whatever, you're a failure. So I was, you know, that I came up with that idea in my head, not necessarily, that's not true necessarily, but like that's culturally what my upbringing was. And then when I was, you know, kind of flailing around after college, I, I wanted to like, I was just making decisions based on like I decided to study environmental science and go into the ocean area of like, you know, marine science because I wanted to learn how to surf and my college would give you money to go do a research project anywhere you wanted. And so I was like, I'm going to study something about the ocean because I want to learn how to surf. Like that's basically what got me into marine science. And this was grad school. No, this was undergrad that right. you wanted to surf. Right. And so I went to Chile and I, I, I guess I learned how to surf. Yeah, I'm like not a great surfer, but it was a cool experience. And then, um, and then I think, you know, I've always been kind of drawn to creative, to creating things. My grandpa gave me a film camera when I was like 12, um, and I was obsessed with photography. And then, I think I never considered it a viable career thing because I knew that if I just if I told my parents I wanted to go to art school they would scoff at me (laughs) so um so I think after college I was just I was like working in kitchens as a cook and working on boats with fishermen and like counting fish as a scientific observer and making very little money living in the bay area where rent is extremely expensive I was yeah I was like very it was like struggling yeah and then I was like I want to I guess I guess I go back to school because that's what you know people do that's like what you're supposed to do um quote unquote right and so and I didn't want to pay for it because I was already in debt so I was like 
I talked to my, I just cold called my PhD advisor because he had not Geo Explorer next to his name. <laughs> and I was like, that's cool. I, I want to work with him. And he was like, you should do the PhD because then you get paid. Right. So that's why I did it. Really. Did you have to do a master's before PhD or it was from bachelor's to PhD program? It was like master's, bachelor's all in the one. It was just a PhD because in, in the environmental sciences, social sciences field, from, from what I understand, you don't really need to get a master's before you go to your PhD. That's funny. My The only reason why I went to grad school is because I was proactive and I had someone else who was like a mentor kind of say like, all right, come get your degree for free. We'll pay for it. And I was like, all right, if you're going to pay for it, then I don't have to pay for it. Right. Did you have to teach while you're doing your PhD? I So my program, shout out ABBA Center um, for Ecosystem Science and Policy, amazing mm -hmm. program, very well funded. And um, I just had to TA for two semesters, which was really fun. I love teaching. Yeah. So it was basically like I didn't have to do anything and I was just getting paid to learn. And um, and while I was there, my department started a environmental media and culture department. And so I got to incorporate photography and filmmaking into my science. And I was, I loved it. So you got to pioneer the program. Right. Yeah. I was like one of the students I guess so it seems like again it's funny how whenever I interview a lot of people or when I talk to a lot of people um, the people who are doing things that are like at a level that's above you know not saying that there's a level where there's people don't do anything but there's a level where people are kind of going through the motions of life and there's people who go out and seek things and usually the seekers are poor in the beginning mm -hmm. and struggling mm -hmm. and then they seek and seek and seek and the seekers find you know the adventurers find um, so it's funny how you go from looking at the, the, you know, the light dancing on the corals, right, to seeking that out, to then working as a cook, you know, counting fish and smelling terrible all the time. I want to know what kind of soap you use to get that off. And then eventually seeking out a PhD professor and getting your PhD for free. And then they start a film, you know, program at the university that you kind of slide into. Yeah. Were you always doing film and photography? So your grandpa gave you a film camera. Mm -hmm. Is this the one that you had to like go into a dark room and like, it or is this the one you went to Walgreens? That's yeah, what I, I had. I had a, like the. I mean, I guess at that point I could have used a dark room, but I didn't have a dark room, right. nor the like resources or yeah. resource to or a teacher or anything like that. So I was just going to Walgreens and getting the device. What were you photographing back then? Do you remember? Um, I was photographing my grandparents and. Um, you know, my family, I was going to San Francisco because I lived in the suburbs of San Francisco. So I'd go to San Francisco with my friends and shoot random stuff. I don't know, none of it turned out great, but I was taking portraits. I made a little portrait book of my friends. So how did you get into film? So like you're a photographer in your bachelor's degree program, you're studying marine stuff then? Uh, in my bachelor's, I was uh, doing environmental science. I actually wanted to be a primatologist at that time. What the hell's that? Study monkeys. Oh my god, primates, I love monkeys. Yeah. I have monkeys tattooed all over me. I have like six monkeys tattooed That's on me. Awesome. Obsessed with monkeys. Yeah. Um, Joe Rogan is too, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out Joe Rogan. Shout out this podcast. I'll actually go somewhere. <laughs> and so you were studying monkeys and then you kind of transitioned to the marine stuff because of the PhD program. I was studying I was studying um, monkeys. I was like in African e tropical ecology for a bit, really interested in, you know, uh, herd behavior and stuff like that. And then I and then I started studying fisheries because I was like ocean surfing. And then after fisheries, I, um, I started studying coral reefs. Okay. So yeah. it was all kind of in the same thing. Are you one of those people who like hates people but loves animals? Like they're no. always like, I can't stand people. I just want to be around animals, like licking animals in the mouth and, you know, like 
one in the I'm sleeping def- cages. <laughs> Definitely not. If your dog tries to lick me on the face, I will reject it immediately. I okay. think that's disgusting. I love animals. I wasn't raised like with animals in the way that a lot of people were, I think. Right. Mostly like culturally, that just wasn't a thing. We had pets, but you know, I'm I'm more of the type of person who I'm just fascinated by life and I think that all life I just I think that the the ways in which life is interconnected has this way of flashing before our eyes. And I that's those are the moments that I'm I'm really I'm really drawn to, I think. Like what? What would be one of, what would be one of the moments when I know you were telling me a story on how you interviewed people in Chile. Was that one of those moments where you were like life intersects and it kind of like boom, you get that flash or was Chile kind of like, eh? Chile to me, I love Chile, incredible country. I think to me the project that I was working on there w- didn't speak to me. Um, although it was incredible to off-road on the desert coast of Chile and just like talk to people and and witness the effects of El Nino on a desert right on the, by the sea. That was incredible. But um, I think more so the moments where I feel that are, you know, when I'm underwater, um, you know, working with spearfishers or, or just staring at a coral and seeing all of the animals that live, live in the coral and swim through it. And, you know, no moment on the reef is the same. It's like all changing all the time like a series of unique fingerprints and so I think it's moments like that where I see or or maybe you know one time when I was in Cuba and I like I photographed a um a local killing a hog for a hog roast and I was like right up in their face while he slit the hog's throat and that was a moment for me where I was like wow we're all just here you know yeah, we're so removed from that here. Like when yeah. we have Publix and, you know, we have like all these different grocery stores, like we have no idea about the slaughtering of animals. And then you have the people who are like vegan. Are you vegan? I'm not vegan. You no. know, the people who are vegan are like, you have to watch this documentary. Yeah. You'll never have burgers again. <laughs> I was like, I watched that documentary while eating a cheeseburger. Like I, I am not affected by that. And that's because, you know, I, when I was in high school, I had a friend of mine who was uh, Jamaican. His parents lived in Jamaica. So uh-huh. we would go to Jamaica and they made us kill chicken. Yeah. You know, we, we, we when you have to kill to eat something, you kind of have this, you know, semiotic relationship with life where you're like, you realize that it is this weird world where you take and give and take and give and take and give. Um, I, so I follow what you're saying. And just because I think, so my last pro my last project, um, for my PhD, uh, I wrote, this is what I wrote my dissertation in my book on was about, the ways that people interact with this invasive fish, the lionfish. Okay. Poisonous. Right. Yeah. You, you're supposed to kill it because yeah. it's invasive. It's not good for the environment. Um, and so I was constantly asking people all up and down this island in the Bahamas called Abaco, all up and down this island, I was asking people, how do you feel about killing? How do you feel about killing fish? How do you feel about killing animals? Is it different to kill a hog than it is to kill a fish than it is to kill a dog than it is whatever? Um, and doing that made me kind of reflect on my own ideas and, and moral ideas about killing and eating animals. And I came, I think after a long time, I kind of came to the conclusion for myself personally that I, I want to be able to, I, I want, I don't think that it's wrong to eat animals. I think that it's wrong to eat animals that are raised and, and, um, 
and processed in an industrialized setting using chemicals and antibiotics and hormones and all these terrible things, you know, inhumanely killed animals. I don't want to eat those animals. Sometimes I do, and I feel really guilty about it. But um, I think, you know, like you said, we are in conversation with all creatures on this planet. And I, I want to get to a point one day where I know everything I'm eating has been raised sustainably and intentionally and with care and and at that point I won't feel guilty about eating anything you know and you gotta live on a kibbutz because it ain't happening right. in a capitalistic society exactly you know I, I get that point but you can do but you can do more things you know you can look for seafood that's raised sustainably you can look for I think it's just marketing whenever I see that and it's like sustainable I'm always no, like it is. Eh. MSC is is like can I swear yeah MSC is bullshit you know like a lot of it is bullshit some of it is Correct. Some of it is bullshit. You just don't know and you have to look into it. Like, don't eat Chilean sea bass. There is no way that that fish has been caught sustainably, you know? Yeah. Don't eat, like, bluefin tuna. I've never even thought about Chilean sea bass. No, it's, like, (laughs) bad. It's bad. It's hella bad. Or, like, you know, bluefin tuna. That fish is doomed. Don't eat it. Why is that doomed? um, They've just been overfished to the brink of extinction. But here's my thing, right? I drive around, I look at a building, and I look at my apartment building, you know, 66 units in my condo building. I look at the condo building next to me. I look at all the people in public. I look at all the people on the road, and I go, to feed all these people, I don't see how it's possible that you raise the pig, and you're calling it, you know, Wilfred, and you're kissing, mm, we're going to, one day you're going to, you got to just pump those things out like they're just, you know. No, it's true, and I think we have a really fucked up, like, cultural norm here where we think we have to eat meat every single day. Well, yeah, that's marketing and advertising um, that has yeah. really done a, its its effect on in, in communication studies. We have a thing called agenda setting, which is like basically the people who are considered gatekeepers of information. They set the tone on what people talk about. So like an article is written in uh, like a fitness magazine saying how red meat can help you build muscle. Right. That's probably paid for by a PR agency right, right. for a slaughterhouse or right. some kind of meat packaging company. Or you see something that says like eating free range chicken is now the more healthy, affordable option. You know, that's probably, again, written by a public relations person for yeah, Tyson are, chicken. Our or, minds are controlled. They're not controlled. It's just that, you know, there are people who kind of push and lean sure. on society and culture, kind of like how the real Tarzan was here in Miami and how like oceanic research is becoming a popular topic. It's because people like Noah and different organizations are paying people to make documentaries or write articles or mm-hmm. filmmakers like you like make something and people go like, wow, all of a sudden I care about the ocean where they didn't care before. Mm-hmm. You set an agenda with right. your film, you know? And so those who have money and power kind of, you know, can lean on society and make society they can't control it. Like we're not zombies. We all make our own decisions, but they can kind of just lean, lean on it enough to tip the scales mm-hmm. in their favor. Um, so you leave grad school, you get your PhD, um, you're considered an artist, right? You want to be considered an artist, not necessarily like an academic, kind of like me. Like, you know, even though I was an academic, I want to be considered an artist. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish I was an academic right now for the salary because <laughs> I am hurting financially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you guys can uh, Venmo or PayPal me, Aaron the speaker. <laughs> Do you want to shout out your Venmo? Yes, at Reen Rahimi. That's it. Send the money. We need it um, to continue doing this artwork. <laughs> um, so you leave the PhD program. How long ago was that? That was in um, 
That was in June. So not too long ago. Yeah. So you're still within the year mark. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. And um, I think, um, I don't know. I think, I think I got out of my PhD after a year of hustling, like writing my ass off. Writing, in in writing, grad writing, school. Writing. Yeah. And yeah. I was, and I was doing commercial photography and film work. Um, I was just working really hard for And a then year. it was over and you were like, oh. and then I was over and I was like, I had like a week to relax. And then I just felt like, I don't know. I think I just felt like I, yeah, I finished my PhD, but I haven't done what I really want to do, which yeah. is to create, you know, something to create like a, a platform um, or like a, a storytelling portfolio really of like stories that I think that are important, um, visual stories. And so I just went right back at it, like really hardcore. And my boyfriend always is like, dude, you need to remember it's a pandemic. Like relax, <laughs> you know, like no one ex is expecting, no one's gonna make or break their career in the middle of a pandemic, like relax. So that's kind of what I've been trying to keep in mind because I think I've been, um, I think like my tendency is to just throw myself into work. Yeah, I think, I think that happens. It happened for me in grad school. It happened, I think it happens for a lot of people. Like when you're, if you've never taken grad school, for one, I would highly recommend grad school to everybody. Like if you are sitting around like, you know, wondering like what I should do, just go back to grad school. Just go to school. Like if you're really wondering because one, if you can, finesse the system and get it for free then do that definitely do it if you, can you do know that. if yeah. you can finesse the system and get it for free and even have to pay for it you know it you're going to be in debt for a lot of things in life right. car house getting a higher education it gives you two things teaches you how to read a lot teaches you how to write a lot which is important for right. whether it's visual storytelling or emails to people or talking right. to people and it's going to kind of it, it's like this like area where you are sleep deprived working your ass off and then when you finish you kind of like have this feeling of like i should sustain this level of like work that i was doing before like if i could write a paper do commercial work i could definitely do a lot more now that i'm not doing any of that right. and you kind of feel like you're saying during the pandemic i think a lot of people who have that a type personality has been like sitting on my ass is making me feel bad like it's right. making me feel like I'm a waste. It's making me feel depressed, you know? And so a lot of us are kind of like trying to push through that. And I, I had a joke that I was trying to write and work on that was like, I used to be a go-getter, but now I feel like what is there to go get, mm -hmm. you know, like money's tight for a lot of people. You know, the pandemic makes it hard to kind of go out. And even for me in the performing arts section, I'm watching comics go out and I feel like the vaccine is in their blood because like these guys are just going out, sharing microphones, you know, night after night after night. And, you know, they're, they're doing it. And I feel like a kid who's being punished inside the house. Like I'm grounded and I'm like looking out the window, seeing all the kids play. And I'm like, uh, let me go play with them. Why don't, wait, so where, where are these comics performing? All over. There are like you, listen, you, we already know the Miami nightclubs are packed. The people oh. who have, the people who hope, the people who are not really worried about the pandemic, right, right. the people who are people like, who don't give a fuck about other people's lives that and, are out there. And that's okay. Right. I, we need those people, right? Yeah. You always need those people because at first I was angry at them. Like maybe a lot of people were like, Hey, you know, you're doing the wrong thing, but kind of the, they're the lab rats, mm -hmm. you know, if they start dying, <laughs> you know, we know it's not safe. 
if they're not dying, dying, then we know it's okay. Like people someone has, dying someone dying. has to leave the cave to be eaten by a lion. People are being eaten, Aaron. Right. We know it's not safe. So that's why I don't go outside as much. <laughs> and when they stop getting eaten, I'll go, okay, that's fine. Right. Um, but as a visual storyteller, mm -hmm. right, as someone behind the camera, mm -hmm. um, and with the pandemic happening, mm -hmm. and with the transition of power between one administration to another, do you feel like oceanic research and everything is kind of growing? Or do you think that it's just something that people are talking about now? It's a fad. Like, as a storyteller, I guess it's your imperative to kind of continue these stories to be on the top of people's minds. Yeah. And working with my sister, she's doing oceanic research stuff, but I don't think she's that passionate about it. Like, I don't think she's like a mermaid swimming in the ocean who's like, I just love the ocean. I think that like she finds coral reefs and the shape of them really cool as like a ceramic artist i think that it's a cool project that she like molded these corals it's a community project you know the way that the clay is like drying it kind of looks white like how coral reefs die but i don't think she's like a hardcore you know ocean i just gotta I love the ocean well i don't think yeah and i don't think she's branding herself as that either right, right? it's like she's the she's the artist and she's she's like really passionate about this the idea of the system but as a visual storyteller mm -hmm. and as someone who kind of studied this, right. what do you feel like as you see artists? Like, I think I see a lot of artists talking about the ocean that mm -hmm. weren't necessarily like gun-ho ocean before, but now they're like wanting to talk about the ocean. Like, how do you feel about that? Like as a storyteller, as like, I mean, I'm all for that, you know, <laughs> shout out anyone who's talking about the ocean right now. I think that, I think that, um, I think that the, I think that we have progressively, especially with, you know, the um, shifts in technology we've seen in the last couple decades, okay. um, been more and more removed from natural spaces. Okay. And that, I mean, I think people were talking, have been talking about this for a very long time, but you know, the return to nature, the return to, um, you know, the whole outdoors movement that we're seeing, like van life, like that whole thing, you know, people are, people are yearning for this connection to something greater. And yeah. now that religion is, a, is like, has been exposed for, you know, what it is. I mean, religion is, can be a very beautiful thing, but it's yeah. been really fucked up in a lot of ways. So now that religion has kind of been less cool, you know, I think that nature, people are starting to come back to nature as something that, you know, gives them this like elevated, ecstatic feeling of connection with, with a greater force. Um, Rumi has a poem about this where he's basically just like, we are just, we are all just searching for that feeling of ecstasy. And so, you know, nature is an incredible place to find that. So that, that to me makes a lot of sense, especially as we're cooped up in our houses, mm. you know? Like why is Nat Geo one of, if not the most followed account on Instagram? Because it's, it's showing, you know, nature. It's showing yeah. like the, the spaces that we feel most connected to, like inherently, primitively, and yet also very disconnected from because of the way that our society has kind of progressed yeah i think it's and do you feel just like as you're talking about that i'm just thinking like do people go out in nature as much if they didn't have technology like I, like i know van life is cool and i've i've wanted to do it too and i thought about it you know 
I say to myself, like, I should, again, I have my father who's like, you know, I was like, Go, covert. I'm like, it's not even covert. It's COVID. He's like, I know, but it's, it's covert. You don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let, let, let me, let me stick to the jokes. Okay. Don't, don't tell those jokes. Let me stick to them. Um, <laughs> Your dad sounds hella funny. He's funny. He's funny now. He's funny now that he doesn't have control. Like, your parents are always better once you don't need them anymore. Yeah. You know, once you're no longer like dependent on their decision making, you're like, they're not so bad. Um, do you feel, I feel like people are doing that van life for vlogs. Like mm-hmm. they want to go out to nature to take pictures. So mm-hmm. I feel like there is this weird dichotomy. Like they're, they're, they're kind of connected. Like people want to hike up a mountain for, for the photo the photo and the, and the visual storytelling journey that they can put on their social media to let people know, like, look at me climb this mountain. Like, I don't see anyone going, I'm going to leave my cell phone in the car as I hike up this mountain. This is something I struggle with heavily, I think, as a, as a visual creator. When to separate? Yeah, when do I put my phone down? And I think that is a very difficult thing to grapple with. Um, because you're constantly having to, or at least I feel as if I, I'm constantly checking back with myself and asking, am I doing this for the art form? Am I doing this for the, for the message? Does, does this like, am I doing this because I'm trying to further the message that I'm trying to further? Or am I doing it for the clout or for the like bragging rights or for whatever, you know? Like, and Which side do you find yourself on most of the time? Oh like most of the time to show off. <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's that's 50 true. 50. That's honest. That's Maybe it's 50-50. I don't know. But um, I try, like, I really try to, you know, check in with myself about that and make sure that I'm doing it because I'm, I make sure that I'm not taking photos or video of my experiences compulsively. Yeah. And I'm doing it mindfully because then you can just fall down this rabbit hole and you'll have 500 million photos of one hike you know i know i know i find myself doing it now with my cameras i like take these photos and i'm like for what am i taking these photos for like what am i going to do with them what am i really trying to say right and Um, i think and i I actually listened to a ted talk by this woman i don't i don't know uh i don't remember her name at all sorry but um she she doesn't care (laughs) everyone's watching (laughs) um she she said she kind of did a study where she was looking at you know does does taking a photo while you're having an experience enhance or take away from the experience that you're having while you're taking that photo. And she, I guess, I think that's the results of her study were that if you're taking the photo mindfully and intentionally and being very present in that moment, then it, 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 it doesn't hurt it. If not, it enhances the experience. So. Yeah. Because you're, uh, we call that, uh, in communication, there's a theorist named, uh, Jacques Lacan. He's French. Um, Lacan Lacan mm-hmm. and he has a book called archive fever and he talks about our insatiable desire to photograph things as it makes something that was ephemeral permanent mm-hmm. um, and you know with cloud-based things that we don't have to print photos anymore the idea of storing photos is not even that damaging to like printing and having books and books and books of photos uh, just like accumulates on a computer and it's just mental garbage, but it's not really like <laughs> stacking up in your house where you're like, I can't get through my living room yeah. with all these photos in the way. Um, yeah. But it anchors it, you know, like taking the photo allows you to go back and look at it and remember the moment. Um, yeah. And not always clearly. Like that's the point. The difference between a photo and a video is a photo is a still 
where it doesn't really have sound or movement and you kind of like are trying to remember what it was like. But if you look at a really old photo, you can kind of remember, but it's not like concrete compared to when you have a video. It's like, oh, there I am. That's how I look. That's how I sound. Um, so I think that everyone is having that, you know, boundary issue with like what's acceptable to photograph or not. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it definitely does help um, anything in terms of like a message of oceanic research or preserving the world. I think that is what's what you're going to see interestingly now moving forward is more photos of people in the hospital with COVID through you. We saw it in the beginning, right? We saw like all these videos of Italy, like people like incubated and all that stuff. And then April came and May came and Trump was like, it's over. And it was right. The media talked nothing about it. You didn't see any videos. You didn't see any mm. pictures. But now that they're trying to like show it again, what do you see in the news? Mm. Videos, pictures, testimony from people. So it's funny how that is, again, creating an agenda mm -hmm. for people to kind of like be concerned because as hospitals grow, the worst thing is like you go to the hospital and you're like, oh, I, I broke my arm. And they're like, well, we can't see you because we're full. Yeah. And you're like, what? Oh, yeah, we just, we're full. We can't see you because there's too many people here with COVID. We can't like have you. But my arm's broken. It's like, well, what do you want us to do? We're full. Go find another hospital. I think that's what people are connecting is like the fullness right. of that stuff. But I think that covid does help oceanic research covid does help this pandemic does help climate change research because it's realizing that people go if the new administration really hammers at home that this was a natural disaster it does say like well this is happening not only to us as a sickness this is happening to marine life to corals to fish to animals to everything on the planet is kind of being destroyed by this like industrial complex of like us just building 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 and not thinking Right. Also, yeah. And also, um, you know, uh, going into some of the world's wilderness and taking animals out of there and putting them in a market, you know, <laughs> like that. As long as we keep doing that and not regulating that, then there's only going to be more. Pandemics. Like with bats in China and stuff. Yeah. Bats, pangolins. Yeah. Penguins? Pangolins. Oh, I thought you know what pangolins are? No. Penguins are amazing. What's they're like, they're like. Wait, um, they're good, but we shouldn't be eating them. They're really cute and they're really nice and they're endangered. Yeah, they're poached. Oh, they're done. They ain't got no chance. They taste delicious and they're endangered. I don't know if they taste delicious actually. Oh. I'm not sure how they taste. Pangolins. Pangolins, yeah. They are armored little armored critters. They kind of look like armadillos, but. Uh, what continent are they from? Africa. Oh, they're in Africa. That's the only place I know that they are. They don't stand a chance. They're going to eat the hell out of those things. <laughs> no, I think they're, I think they're doing, I think there are some initiatives that are doing pretty well to get people to stop poaching them. What do they know. do? They're don't like a, they're that. like a, they're like an eater. They eat trash. No, they're like, they're in the safari in Africa. They just kind of chill, you know, they oh. do their thing. I know every animal like serves its purpose and like its system or filter. Like, I don't know exactly what they do. They must eat insects. Though. They definitely don't stand a chance then. <laughs> they serve no, no they're purpose. No, they're they delicious. They have armor, dude. They have armor. Well, it's not helping them. <laughs> <laughs> we have knives and forks. It's not. They don't stand a chance. No, they do stand a chance, I think. They'll be fine. What, I mean, was, your, what was your favorite place to visit so far out of all the places you visited? What's your favorite place that you visited so far as a researcher, or as a photographer, filmmaker, artist? Definitely Cuba. Why? Um, well, so The coffee? <laughs> <laughs> no way. I'm here to do research America for a cappuccino. Much better coffee. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'm like a coffee snob, though. I mean, I love a Cuban coffee, but. So it's better in America than it was in Cuba. I mean, we just we have like crazy, crazy machines here that That's true. you know we like we, they have the notes of the cherry and the apricot. Yeah. And there, it's just coffee. Yeah. It's great there too, though. No, no lie. Um, I love Cuba. Cuba is probably my favorite country besides my homeland of Iran. Um, I know that makes me sound very suspicious as an American. <laughs> that you love a com they're not communist. Cuba's they not communist. I don't think they're they like are communist. I don't think they're like they're socialist. Socialist. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they're like communists. Like they don't like say they're they say they're a socialist I democracy. Mean, but there's no real democracy. Like no one ever changes like power, but Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a it's kinda like a yeah, you they handpick the leaders that you can choose from. Yeah. Cuba, Iran. Right, Iran, same thing. Um uh yeah, Iran is a I guess a, it's a socialist theocracy. I but why Cuba? Cuba The beach. Cuba is why I moved to Miami. Really? Yeah. So I um I well, I knew I wanted to go to school by the ocean, so it was either Miami or Hawaii, and I I had this fascination with Cuba because a family friend of ours um, was a photographer and he went to Cuba and was taking photos and print them and put them up in his house. And when I was at his house, I would look at the photos and I just thought it was incredible. And also the movie Motorcycle Diaries. Never seen it. Great film. What is it? Motorcycle Diaries. I gotta watch it then. It's about Che Guevara. Okay. Um, um, but I think, yeah, so I think, I think Cuba always fascinated me because it seemed like a place that was so close and yet forbidden. Yeah. And also, it just seemed like a place where everything was done in the opposite way that we had done them. And I wanted to see how that turned out. You what know? do you mean? In terms of like industrialism, like they're very like old Spanish architecture, you know? Well, they, yeah, so they choose, they chose, you know, they chose communism. And so, and then they were blockaded by the US and all the other major world powers. And so that severely limited what they could do, how they could, how much they could grow their economy, you know, what types of, materials and resources they had so the way that their agriculture developed the way that their uh you know industrialization process developed the way that they treat their environment it was completely different than the way that we did it here and so i wanted to go there and see what that was all about especially because i was um before i entered grad school i was learning a lot about um the coral reefs in cuba and how how incredibly healthy they were in comparison to the rest of the caribbean and so I was like, this place sounds dope. There's beautiful coral reefs, incredible culture, and it's completely different, and yet 90 miles away from the coast of the United States. I, right. I just was fascinated with it. So I came here, I started a project in Chile because I was kind of convinced or like to do, to do that. And then um, after a year, I was like, this, I don't really vibe with this. And my, my advisor, was so cool. I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was like, oh, oh, it took him like 30 seconds. He was like, okay, like Cuba. Okay. You should talk to these three people. And I like went and talked to them. And then I started doing work in Cuba for two years. Amazing. So you lived there for two years? No, I didn't live there for two years. Go back and forth, back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, for two years. Yeah. Wow. A lot, that's a privilege a lot of people don't get. Right. It was amazing. And that flight's like 35, 45 minutes. Amazing. Fast. I, Cuba is a place that is very um obviously it's you know it's not a paradise yeah. it's a place that with a lot of you know people the people that live there struggle a lot the government is 
not perfect by any means, you know, it's very flawed. Um, but there is a sense, there is a, like a quality to the Cuban spirit that is unparalleled, I think. You do many hot Cuban guys over there? <laughs> I mean, no, it's filled with beautiful people. Yeah. Everyone there is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They're like Spanish. They're like European. They're like, everyone can dance like yeah. on the drop of a dime. I'm like hanging out with five-year-olds and they're twerking. <laughs> Very <laughs> culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I wasn't doing that as a kid. <laughs> no, it's very, very different over there. Yeah. Very different culture. Right. Um, so Cuba. Okay. As we come to the close of the interview, you know, um, I guess I want to know like what projects you have coming up. Mm -hmm. um, the project you're doing with my sister, you know. Um, you guys can check that out. It's going to be happening at the Big House Artist Complex in Florida. If you're listening to this outside of Florida, you're shit out of luck. Um, but if not, I think it's going to be up till March, right? And you guys are right. And if you are outside of Florida, we're going to have. So um, I'm creating a video, a short film about the process of creating the exhibit and also the final result of it. So that's kind of the point of why I'm here is to make sure that this exhibit can be seen by everyone, not just. Um, people that come see it in person, especially because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And we'll have a VR um, short, I think. So Am I going to be in the credits? Tuned for VR? No, for possible, for like some of the foot, maybe of some course. of the footage and some in the audio course. recording. Supp maybe. Supporting footage. Yes. Oh, yes, an audio, audio yeah. specialist. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the credits for something. I'm doing something, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Not just sitting at home. He tells me every day to get a job. I'm like, no, no. I need uh, to get a job. <laughs> what projects do you have coming up outside of this? Like what's, you have a 2021's coming, you know, let's say the vaccine comes out, boom, maybe mid-March, you have the most high-risk people, like vaccinated right. things are starting to get back. Mm -hmm. You know, what's on, what's on the, on the list for you? Like yeah. what's, what's, what's your goals? What's your like, you know, dreams? <laughs> Tell me your dreams. Oh my God, where do we start? Um, so I just created Light Palace Productions. Yeah, That's I my saw production that on company. Yep. Go follow, follow it. me. She at needs followers. Light at Light Palace with a period before the E because someone else took Light Palace. Oh, doing it for the clout. Yeah. Why don't you write that person who does, who has the thing at the E and tell them you need it? <laughs> Maybe I should. Yeah. They have a they have a cool thing going on though. I oh, do they? You're not gonna get it then. <laughs> just remember Light Palace. Um, and so yeah, so I started this production company. I um, am very interested in telling stories that are unconventional about the ways that people interact with nature. Um, that looks like, for example, the I'm doing a web series right now, and the first film is a short film about my friend Richard, a French Algerian expatriate living in the Bahamas. He's mm. a spearfisher and he makes bronze metal statues. So he works with molten metal. So, um, and so I kind of follow him on his journey as he tries to figure out how um, he's gonna, you know, continue supporting himself and being self-sufficient after a lifetime of sailing on the ocean for 25 years, living on a sailboat, how he's gonna continue to be self-sufficient into his older age. Um, so that's this, um, web series I'm working on now. I'm, I'm working on creating a film about um, a fossil fuel worker because I feel like um, that is a, you know, 
that is a story that hasn't been told from the environmental perspective and that might help open up dialogue between um, two polarized groups of people, you know? Um, I want to lessen polarization in our society because obviously it's what got us to where we are now and that's yeah. kind of it's kind of a sad place to be, um, which is why I love podcasts. We all talk to each other. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean... I'm working on a couple other projects. I'm working with Lauren to create this video about the exhibit, which is super cool, what she's doing here. Super amazing. Um, and then, you know, I don't even want to talk about the things that might happen after COVID because they're also up in the air, but... I don't think so. I think it's going to come back. I think people are going to be right back to normal. Right. Well, hopefully I'll be in Madagascar doing oh, wow. a film about... Um, sustainable farming practices that uh, is off of a grant that my friend is spearheading, um, which would be really cool with this little film team I'm part of. Shout out TSM. Um, and then, uh, what else? That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like 2021 and 2022. Right. That's a lot of things. Right. So I'm excited. I think that I think that this has been really depressing, but also a really great opportunity for us to kind of check in with ourselves and the people around us and figure out what we really want with our li from our lives and how we want to direct our energies moving forward. So, I love it. That, yeah. That's great. Direct your energies moving forward. Well, Shireen, I appreciate having you on the podcast. Guys, make sure you guys check her out. I'll put all the links below. Um, and um, how can they follow you? Lighthouse, Light Palace? Right. Lighthouse Palace. What is it? Light, light, what was it? Light Palace. Light pa or lightpalaceproductions.com is my website. Mm. You can email me. We can talk. Yeah. On the website. On the website, you can email me. You can DM me on Instagram with, you know. What? Film-related things. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're cute. <laughs> no, none of that. Block. <laughs> That was your dad. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I appreciate you talking about the podcast. I hope everything works out. Um, Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. And Joe Rogan, pop out at any moment. He's not. So I can fucking, I don't know, interrogate your conservative ass. Yeah, I don't know if he's conservative. He he's just, definitely conservative. He plays that up. You think so? Oh, yeah. I think he's conservative. There's no way you get conservative guests unless you play conservative. Just like I'm Christian when I talk to Christian people. <laughs> I'm Christian when I talk to Christians. I'm Muslims when I talk to Muslims. I'm Jewish You're when Muslim. I talk to Yeah. I read the Quran. Oh my god. Allah, all that stuff. I I I don't I, I hate Mashallah. the word I hate the word pandering, but, uh, but whenever, that is whenever someone believes something, I say, Yeah, me too. Because I'm not gonna change their mind. Well, it's been a great podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you guys can check out the full podcast on Apple iTunes. I hope you stay to the end. Uh, make sure you contact Shireen, look out for the project she has going on, and uh, I'll see you guys later. Thank you. That's easy. Mm -hmm. Super informal. Okay, cool. I mean, M Ms. Sabra. <laughs> so I was told that Joe Rogan would be here, and bring him in. I'm just kind of disappointed. <laughs> we got music. We got sound effects. What do you want? Hell yeah. Let's see. What sound effects we have?
Where's the applause? Yeah, that's what we need. Let's give you some applause. Hype up. There we go. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. How now, brown cow? Peter Pepper picked a Pepper Pepper. He'll read anything on the teleprompter. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to choke on a pretzel m and Yeah, like, I, I, maybe I shouldn't have brought those. I feel like they'll be irritating. Where's your water? Listeners. You might need it. Oh, I do have water. You might need it. I always have water. I will definitely need it. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Maybe not. There. Is it in the way? Maybe there. That's good. There you go. All right. 